welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast, and I'm your host, Brendan O'Neill. I'm a Canadian expat living in Phuket, Thailand, and Fruiting Body is a medicinal mushroom company. Our intentions of this podcast is to connect with people living on the island and share their stories with you. This is episode nine with Sean Kober, aka Coach Cobes. Uh, Sean Kober is the strength and conditioning coach over at Tiger Muay Thai. Um, he's been here since 2016, and he's um, training the bantamweight champion in the UFC, Petra Yang. Well, I mean, he lost his title, but uh, that's up for discussion. I mean, obviously, the guy's going to win it back anyways. Um, Sean is, is primarily doing strength and conditioning at Tiger, and uh, he also has his own podcast as well and dives into the psychology behind training. Sean wears many hats. Uh, Lance Corporal Sean miller Cobra, correct? Got it. Killed Out it. Out of breath. Smashed it. <laughs> um, uh, he's also a nutritional therapist. Um, and we'll discuss this because I'm not 100% uh, understanding it yet. Uh, NLP Master... Uh, NLP Master Practitioner. Master yeah. Practitioner. Neurolinguistic Programming. So we're going to get into that and, and uh, understand that a little bit more. Uh, so let's get this started. So first, Sean, thank you for joining us today. And kind of how we start these podcasts, the whole the whole point of it is it's we want to understand your journey coming from Australia and how you got to Phuket. Now, that's going to probably be quite long-winded, but take it away. I'll try and keep it short and quick and yeah. straight to the point. Um, so I'm ex-military. Uh, I spent six years in the Army. Uh, once I discharged from the Army in 2012, uh, I essentially started my strength and conditioning business, personal training business, and would work for eight or nine months every year and then travel for three to four months every year. 2013, my now ex-girlfriend and I went travelling around Southeast Asia uh, and ended up about a month into our trip in Thailand. Uh, spent a couple of days in Patong, um, hated it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ended up going over to Tiger Muay Thai and spending a week there training, then continuing our travels, um, PP Islands, the uh, Koh Tao, up to Bangkok and across to Cambodia, Vietnam, etc. So uh, after that, three months in Southeast Asia, we spent three months travelling around Europe on the way home to Tasmania in Australia, we decided to stop back off um, in Phuket and train again at Tiger Muay Thai for two weeks. We wrote up our resumes, um, put forward job applications so that we could essentially get off the plane in Tasmania and walk into our new jobs. Um, and then the next couple of years, I kept coming back for a month. So again, my girlfriend at the time and I, we'd work for eight or nine months every year. This is 2013? 2013, yep. Um, and that first trip, we came back twice and I was like, I love this place. I'd love to, you know, settle here for at least six months to a year. Um, and every year I'd come back and, and spend a month here. My girlfriend at the time would go and do yoga courses in India or Bali or um, other islands in Thailand. And then uh, 2017, I decided that I wanted to move over here. Um, I wasn't getting the opportunities that I wanted with working with professional athletes where I was. Um, so yeah, I ended up coming over to Thailand then and, uh, my ex didn't want to come. She wanted to stay where she was. She was in a really good position. Um, so we ended up going our separate ways and I moved over here and took up an internship contract at Tiger Muay Thai. So you, you were in, uh, uh, Tasmania at the time before jumping over here? Yes. Okay. So we, we know a little bit about your backstory. We've done our research. Um, now let's, let's, let's prolong this, this, this introduction of your life story. 
you you went from uh, Darwin initially, then you went down to Sydney, and eventually to Tas- Tasmania. Let's jump all that part of the story, and we'll come back to that later, kind of like okay. a Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> but um, I, I, what were you doing specifically in Tasmania, kind of uh, making that leap back and forth bet- between Thailand? Was it purely military, or were you training as well? No, so I'd, I'd already discharged from the army in 2012. I got back from Afghanistan in 2011, met a girl. She happened to be from Tasmania, and she was moving back home. Yep. So I ended up following her down there and basically just like, selling everything that I owned, packing everything up and uh, and following her down there to, you know, give that relationship a chance. Mm-hmm. And we spent five years together and um, I just recently finished my PT course and then moved to Tasmania. Uh, I better start my business or get a job somewhere. So I ended up starting my own business and then went strength and conditioning, um, nutritional therapist, NLP, more and more courses, etc. cetera. Um, built my own business and, um, yeah, that was a really solid growth part of my life, um, particularly for my coaching career. Um, you know, I wasn't super busy. I had a lot of time to study, mm-hmm. um, but not only study, you know, implement the the tools that I'd learned through all these multiple courses with myself, with my clients. So, um, yeah, it was an awesome lifestyle. Uh, but after five years of living that lifestyle, I was like, all right, this is, I'm not having, I don't have the opportunities that, I wish I had or I want to have. I'm not getting the opportunities to work with professional athletes like I want. So, you know, whilst the lifestyle was amazing, it also meant that I was sacrificing other things. So it got to a point where, you know, my values had changed and I had to make a decision to step away from that lifestyle, that relationship, so I could chase up opportunities. And what was that moment, that aha moment? Because let's say you're going between Phuket and Tasmania for almost four years, 2012, 13 to 17. Yeah. Not just, not just Phuket. Like, like I was, tra- I'd come here for a month and then yeah. train. And then, you know, I was building my, my website and doing courses and, and things like that. And then I'd go traveling, you know, whatever South America or through the Himalayas, India. But can you remember that time? Maybe you were in Tasmania or you were traveling where you say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to Phuket. I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to a, uh, attempt to get a job at Tiger Muay Thai and, and get involved there. Do you remember the day, the time, or or, or how that all came together? Uh, I recall I was still Army Reserves at the time, basically, so I could play rugby. Um, so I was away for a rugby trip. So I, I played for a, a, like a brigade tournament, and then the best players got selected for the Army team, and then they went into camp, played against Navy and Air Force. Um, so I was essentially away for a month, and... Every year this happened. Um, 2017 stood out for me, though, because I'd gone from being on the Gold Coast, you know, in May, where it was winter, yeah. but we're going to training twice a day, we're playing games every couple of days, we're on the beach every day doing recovery sessions, so, you know, 24, 25 degrees, and then I left that environment where I was with my friends and um, and all that where I went back to Tasmania where you know I was, I was with my girlfriend at the time but I didn't have any friends there um, it was I mean I had friends in the rugby clubs and things like that but no one like really close not not my tribe so to speak um, and I remember driving to work at like 5 45 on a Monday morning and it was like three degrees and I'm like what the fuck am I doing here <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah, no, there's a number of things that led up to that point. But yeah, um, you know, my ex-girlfriend and I, we'd had these conversations throughout the earlier parts of the year about what we we're doing, where we want to go. Um, 
and you know what we were looking at with travel and things like that and I'd already reached out to Tiger um, and, and a couple of other gyms as well Tiger Muay Thai reached out to Unit 27 yep. and Titan Fitness where I'd guest coached the year before um, whilst I was here for one month so I started reaching back out to those gyms again um, and yeah the relationship got a little bit rocky and I remember having a, a phone call with my, my ex whilst I was on that rugby trip and I was like alright we need to have an adult conversation when I get home and yeah, that conversation occurred. And how how quick uh, from that conversation? And I think a lot of people have this story when they come, they they go to live abroad. Uh, for me, it's it's quite quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, you I don't you don't really sit on it for a couple months or a year. Did did you make that transition quite quickly after that conversation? I was a month. Yeah, see, uh, like I got back from that. Yeah. I got back from that one month rugby tour, and then we'd booked a, a tri- like a trip to go away for the weekend. And it was a road trip. And I was like, all right, we're leaving on a Friday. We're going to come back. We're going to have a good weekend. We'll have this conversation on Sunday <laughs> when we're driving home. Yeah. She decided to have that conversation on the Friday. And I was like, all right, cool, let's do this. So, you know, it was a really good conversation. It was an adult conversation. Nobody wrote, raised their voice. And we just said it how it was. And, you know, and essentially it was like our values are no longer aligned. Yeah. We're no longer moving in the same direction that we were in the past. And, you know, it was it required a lot of honesty and discipline to have that honest conversation with each other and with ourselves, you know, to understand that everything that we were working towards together in the past was no longer aligned and moving in the same direction. At that that point of time it worked and, you know, things change. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, was she doing a job that would give her that flexibility to be able to move with you or was she kind of stuck to the island of well, Tasmania? Yeah, no, she owned her own business as well. She was also a personal trainer and a yoga teacher and yoga instructor. So she was yeah. running um, yoga courses and things like that. So, um, yeah, we had that conversation and I basically said, all right, well, I need a little bit of time to, you know, tie up my loose ends and finish up what I'm doing here and give my clients notice, give the gym notice um and basically you know reach out to tiger reach out to unit 27 titan and say hey i'm I'm," because i'd actually initially planned on coming over in like august september and this occurred in like well that conversation occurred mid-may and then i ended up landing uh in thailand in phuket on the i think 22nd or 23rd of june was it quite easy to 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 get that job at that time they're they're welcoming welcoming positions were open um so i'd been actually reaching out to all of the gyms every year when I when I was coming back over to train so you know I, I'd been networking for four or five years prior to that um, training at the different gyms talking to different people and expressing my interest in any positions that came up handing my resume emailing cover letters etc cetera, etc cetera. so at least you're a familiar face they know who you are yeah 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 so um, you know timing worked in my favor uh, I think Tiger just had two coaches that had just recently resigned um and initially i was asked to come over a little bit earlier in i think may or something and i was like no i need a couple of months to sort this out you know my my girlfriend and i are going to be traveling so i'm going to be over at this time um and then obviously we had that conversation and then i reached back out and said hey i've had a change in circumstances i can be there in a month and they're like yeah sweet yeah come on over and especially it's probably getting low season so the doors open a little bit more it's more flexible to get in so you've been here since 2007. I've been here since 2016. You've been here since 2017. And where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself staying? What's the next step for you? Yeah. Maybe, I don't know if you can announce that on here. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it here. Yeah. I love it here. I'm, I'm staying here, you know, long term. 
Um, I've got a plan for the next three to five years in what I'm doing with myself, with my own business, and also what I what I'm looking to develop at Tiger as well. So um, I won't say too much on that yeah. at the moment. Uh, but watch this space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now, you, you have your own um, YouTube channel as well and your own podcast. Um, and this started, if I'm correct, May last year. Uh, correct. Approximately May last year. Now, you've been doing that for just over a year. What brought that together? How did you get into, let's say, podcasting initially, which I'm assuming kind of tied into the YouTube as well? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So um, as a coach, I get a lot of black and white questions and you know, people expect black and white answers. And it's like, man, I don't know anything about you. I don't know your training history. I don't know your training experience. I don't know injury history. I don't know diet history, blah, 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 blah. So people would ask me these questions like, you know, how many times should I be training a day? What type of training should I be doing? How should I be eating? This and that. And I'm like, it's really difficult to give you you know, a specific answer a, a when I, answer, I yeah. need to ask like five questions before I can provide an answer, you know, because at the end of the day, like as a coach, we need to ask questions so that we can then make an informed decision. So I felt like I was <laughs> kind of doing a disservice to people when I'm like, hey, I can't really answer that. So then I was like, maybe if I have uh, something that I can reference, mm-hmm or send a link to people to give them an understanding of the considerations that I'm looking at as a coach. Um, and that's kind of how the idea of the podcast started. And I'd had ideas about it for probably seven, eight, nine, ten 10 months or so prior to actually kicking off. Um, but the catalyst for actually starting the podcast was uh, m- January, late January, February last year, I went back to, I, I, I had a six-week holiday. I went to Japan, caught up with a couple of mates, went snowboarding there, went to Bali, went diving, caught up some friends, did some training, and then went back to Australia, did my yoga course mm-hmm. um, for a couple of weeks. And whilst I was there, I'd already had ideas of starting a podcast. I looked around at, you know, for equipment in Thailand, couldn't really find too much. So whilst I was in Australia, the day before I flew back to Thailand, I ended up buying like all of the equipment that I needed. Mm-hmm. I'd obviously done some research and I'd, I'd bought, um, portu- uh, purchased a podcast course that I was planning on like working my way through over the next six months before putting content together and launching. Uh, and about 10 days after I arrived back in Thailand, everything went into lockdown. So yeah. I was like, now's as good a time as any. Exactly. Now you have, that's kind of how this came together as well. If you have mm-hmm. that free time, I mean, uh, can kind of just run with it and that's that's basically what we did as well um on the it sounds like on, on your side and i mean it's it's kind of a rhetoric question you, you you're very disciplined and you, you do like structure and i'm just bringing that back to even the fact that you went enrolled yourself in a podcast course mm-hmm. did you find that to have any value and maybe this is a two-part question um and what would you recommend to anyone looking to start their first podcast before kickstarting maybe you can walk them through that process Oh, all right. This is a loaded question. <laughs> uh, so I, I listen to a lot of podcasts myself and I have been for probably five or six years. And that started because I lived on the outskirts of the city and I drive into work and also I drive into the outskirts of the city um, and then like walk into work. And I was just sick of listening to the radio of like some 25 year old nobody tell me their opinion of the Kardashians. And I was like, yeah. ah, 
you know, I felt dumber getting out of the car every day. So I was like, yeah. oh, there's got to be better things to do with my time. So I actually started listening to podcasts and, you know, bounced around to a number of different podcasts. And then I found a, a number of um, really good um, content producers that I liked and I resonated with. So I stuck with them. Um, and I've just kind of taken things that I like from them and things that I dislike from them. And I've just kind of amalgamated it all into my own process, I guess. Um, so obviously my plan was to do the podcast course, learn what I need to learn prior to creating content. Kind of just the fundamentals. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but as it turns out, I had the time to be able to start creating content. And I was like, well, it's all well and good to go through this course and learn this stuff, but I need to also action it. So I just started recording episodes and, um, you know, I'd already had a coach online coaching business for a number of years. Um, and you know, the first I do a a 12 week block. So there's a weekly email. So I essentially just use those weekly emails to put together my content for the first two weeks, Mm -hmm. which I, I dropped one episode per day. And that was all about, you know, goal setting, um, progress tracking, basic health markers, objective tracking, um, subjective tracking, accountability, power of habit, creating consistency. What's your process behind that? Are you creating a schedule like that's well thought out? Like, okay, for the next 10 days and then prioritizing that. And from there, um, how do you kickstart into a specific podcast? Are you doing research or is it more creative on the flow? Like what, what goes behind that? Uh, I don't know where to, which question to so, answer there. So, Yes, I've got a structure like, you know, I've got probably 120 odd podcasts out at the moment episodes. And I always say like, if people are listening for the first time, I always recommend they go back and listen from the start. Because if I'm interviewing you, for example, and I'm asking you questions about, you know, discipline, sleep, nutrition, etc, etc. Then I'm always going to tie it back to the fundamental principles that I discuss in the first probably 30 episodes. Mm -hmm. Right, and then once people have that information and that those foundations, then we start layering upon that, and then we, you know, at the end of the day, like we need to look at the principles, and then how to adjust those principles, use different methods, use different tactics to um, tweak, you know, tweak those tools that we're using. That's still going to allow us to abide by the by those principles to get us moving in the right direction. And where did this structure come from that you kind of apply to everything in your life? Where does that that stem from? <laughs> Uh, I'd ha- definitely have to say the army. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my six six years in the army. Um, I'm quite disciplined. I'm quite structured because look, man. Here's the thing. You know, when you are aware of your own mortality, mm-hmm. it makes you want to use your time wisely. So I'd written my will three times by the time I was 25, you know, and there was times in Afghanistan where I was like, this could be my last patrol. I know we're going to a dangerous area. I know last time we were there, our interpreter was killed or our mate lost his leg or someone was shot or whatever it might be. So, you know, when, when you faced your own mortality and you've considered that, hey, this life is not finite, then, you know, it makes you, in my opinion, and in my mind, it makes me, you know, really relish the time that I do have 
and it makes me want to squeeze the most out of every day. So that's where my structure, that's where my discipline came from. Now I'm not structured, I'm not disciplined all the time, but you know, I am quite disciplined with, um, you do have some flexibility to it. as well. Of course. Yeah. Discipline's freedom, man. Yeah. Like if I'm disciplined the majority of the time, but then I get sick or something happens and you know, I need to be a little bit flexible than I can be because I'm working on the things that I want to work on each and every day. Mm-hmm. Right. And if I stay ahead of where I need to be, then I'm being proactive and I'm on the front foot rather than being reactive. Right. So if I'm ahead of where I need to be for the most part, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, then, you know, that allows me the flexibility to then do whatever I want. Would you say the war is won before it is fought? In that sense, meaning structure planning before you execute, not, not, not applying it to war, but applying it to life in general. Uh, say that again. I think the, that's an interesting. The war is won before. It's, it's, not, it's from Sun Tzu. The war is won before it is fought, which basically means uh, before you, you go to battle, whether it's business or whatever, you, you've had some planning, some structure, and then you, and then you execute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, need to, you definitely need to have a plan. Um, but in saying that, it's, it's, it's not enough to just have a plan. You also need to put some action steps in place as mm-hmm. well. Um, now, one of your quotes I thought was quite interesting. You said, people in, people in life who make easy decisions live a hard life, and people in life who make hard decisions live an easy life. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, this is a conversation that I have quite regularly. Um, at the end of the day, I think... Everyone has a reference point, right? Like if I said to you, and this is a legitimate question, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but you know, what's the most devastating thing that's ever happened to you in your life? Mm. You know, and then if I say, you know, how devastating was that on a scale of one to 10? Mm. And you might say, whatever, it's a 10, right? But then in my mind, that thing might be a lower, lower on the scale. Mm -hmm. It's a different reference point. And then on the flip side, if I said, what's the, what's the most incredible thing that you've ever achieved or ever done or that's ever happened to you in your life on a scale of 1 to 10, right? And you say, blah, mm-hmm. all right, on a scale of 1 to 10, blah, right? So I've got a different reference point. The example that I like to use is my ex-girlfriend would always get frustrated with me because we'd be a week out from going on, you know, this three-month holiday and... She was like, why aren't you showing any emotions? I'm like, I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. But I've also got the next week to square away everything so that I can actually go on this holiday and, and make mm-hmm. the most of it, be in the moment, be present in the moment um, before I get excited about it and forget these things that I need to do here to tie up my loose ends. And it took me a couple of years to register this and, and figure out a way to uh, communicate it. And that's how I end up communicating it. And I was like, what's, what's the most exciting thing you've ever done in your life? And she's like, skydiving. Mm-hmm. Scale of 1 to 10, 9 to 10. All right, well, that's a, for me, that's a 5 or a 6. What's the most exhilarating thing you've ever done in your life? And I'm like, being in a firefight. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm never going to be able to recreate that, but that's my reference point. So, you know, I think it's important to understand that your past, your experiences, your um, everything in life has shaped who you are, and it's given you those reference points, right? So someone who's had a really difficult life who has faced a lot of adversity 
growing up and overcome those adversities and continued moving in the right direction, continued, you know, building their character into the person they want to be, you know, that person is typically going to be at an advantage mm-hmm. because they've overcome so much and they, they've faced these adversities before. So they're a little bit more capable of dealing with adversities when they do come up. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, no, were, no. Were, were, were we, we on the right track? Yeah, we were on the right track. And we were talking about, about uh, people in life that, um, you know, make the hard decision, this uh-huh, easy uh-huh. life. And yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think you're kind of connecting that um, also to be socially aware of when you're dealing with people outside of your world, mm-hmm. because not everybody comes from the same mold. Yep. And, and that, that can be difficult. I think even for myself, you know, you, you, it could be something as simple as driving on the road of Thailand. And why is this guy driving like one guy's driving 20 kilometers and the other guy's going 100? Well, they're two different people. So yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Um, and I, I think I'm assuming a lot of this this education, this school of thought has come from your NLP as well to kind of train you and, and to be able to process that uh, certain information in, in this way. Yeah, um, again, I think it's all like life experiences yeah. that has, has taught me what I know now. And, you know, I'm always looking to grow, looking to, you know, personal and professional development. So it's a, a big, it's high on my list of priority priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm always, I'm always trying to learn. I'm always, someone asked me the other day, actually, I can't remember where I was having this conversation. Um, but it's basically like who, who are the people you, you look to for inspiration in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area. And, the answer I gave was, you know, I look, I look at the people around me mm-hmm. because we tend to look at someone who is successful in one area and we tend to think that they're successful in all areas where that's typically not the case. You know, if someone's successful in one area, then, you know, they're, they're typically going to be investing a lot of time, energy and effort into that area, mm-hmm. whereas they might not be as well-rounded in other areas or, you know, the more you invest in one area of your life, then, you know, you're going to have to make sacrifices in other areas of your life. So for yourself, both personally and professionally, uh, you're looking at multiple mentors on different levels to connect with instead of just focusing on, let's say, a singularity. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, you know, I like the, the Bruce Lee philosophy of, you know, learn from everyone, take what's useful, discard what is not, mm-hmm. put your own spin on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, I look at, yeah. You know, of course, there's going to be um, people I look at in um, different spaces that I'm going to learn from. I'm going to consume their content, read their books, listen to their podcasts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what I'm looking for there is lessons and principles, and then I look at people in my life that are actioning, you know, those steps and living by those principles. Well, I think that the hardest part, and I think even for me personally, and I'm sure it applies to a lot of people, is it's very easy to learn, understand, and, and absorb a principle or, or a fundamental. And You can do that any time of the day. Go watch a YouTube video, read a document, or read an article, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to execute it and make it a habit. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Is there is there a secret sauce behind all? Like, is there an answer to that? Because I can, you could apply that to yourself. Today, I'm going to wake up at six every day and I'm going to run. 
You'll do it for two days, but trust me, by Wednesday, you give up. Yeah. Um, I, th- I, I think more like the question is like, and I'm not, maybe it's from your, your training and your, your, your background. Um, and I'm sure you see it a lot, especially people probably coming to Tiger. They come for 10 days and I'm, I'm guarantee you a lot of them drop off after a few. Is there a way to overcome or is there something that we can put into practice to uh, stay focused on those habits you're trying to build? Yeah. Make sure that they align with your values Mm. because if you're, here's the thing, man, like time is our most precious commodity. It's the one thing that we don't get back. Right. So if I'm decide that I'm going to work towards whatever, a specific goal, but it doesn't actually line up with my values, then my why for why I'm going to get out of bed, why I'm going to put processes in place on a daily basis to move me in the right direction. Like if that's, if that doesn't align with my values, then my why is not strong enough and I'm just going to fall off. Right. So I think that's the first thing is expectations. People set the wrong expectations because they're not asking themselves the right questions. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing I think is their commitment. People typically uh, set too high expectations and set their commitment levels too low. Again, is that because they're not asking the right questions and what they're working towards doesn't necessarily align with their goals? Would you agree that also, I mean, a big part of that is discipline and at the end of the day, it's just your inner bitch being a little inner bitch and it's very easy to say, I'm going to eat healthy for the whole week. And then for me, this whole week I'll eat healthy and yesterday I had a fried rice and I fell off. But that was just me being a bitch, for sure. I, I could have easily made dinner. But then I'm at the beach, I have a beer, then I had some fried rice, and I'm now I'm not making dinner. So, I mean, yeah, but that's let me, the let discipline me, side. Yeah, but that ties into the values. So if I say to you, like, why are you deciding to eat clean this week? Well, it's most likely because I haven't eaten clean for a week or two, and you just, you know, you start to feel inflamed and bloated, and you just... Because everything is produced in your gut, and then your gut creates, you know, your, your uh, these uh, uh, your serotonin, mm-hmm. which can throw you into depression very quickly just from eating shit for one week. Mm-hmm. So I can feel that, and I know when that creeps up. It doesn't mean I'm going to jump off the roof, but <laughs> I mean you just feel like shit, and you're like, okay, next week I got to eat clean. So that's that's the reason why I'm doing it. But you know, after cooking, it's just it's so much easier just to go to the beach, had a tie have a beer relax I yeah mean, but that's the balance man like yeah. did you still achieve your goal of eating clean the majority of the time yeah, and 90 and improving your gut health which then approves you know your endocrine system and thoughts mood attitude etc you still achieve that whilst you had a cheat meal you did yeah it's yeah, true man. it's true but then i always i find that sometimes those cheat meals can spiral yeah of course yeah. it because it becomes a habit and this you know people justify to themselves you know, so I think understanding what your values are, why you're doing something, but then also being flexible with it. Yes, it's okay to be disciplined, okay, but here's the thing. You know, you had this negative association with, you just said, like, I fell off. Yeah. 
you know, you think about the words that you're using right there. Like that's part of NLP, how you're speaking to yourself, mm. right? You've just created an association with basically I failed. Mm-hmm. I've failed my diet this week. So I may as well have a beer. I may as well stay up a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I may as well. Today's done. So fuck it. I'll do whatever. And, and, right? I, and then and then I, that, that happens on a Friday. Oh, well, fuck it. The weekend. Yeah, I'll do whatever weekend. I want Just on the weekend. I'll start on Monday. Yeah, exactly. Right? So you justify it, man. Whereas if you said to me, hey, dude, like this is my value. I know that my gut health has been a little bit off. It's affecting my sleep. It's affecting my hormones, affecting my performance, my... Um, my energy, my productivity, et cetera, et cetera. All right, cool. What are you going to do? What's your action step? I'm going to eat cleaner next week. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And then you go, I'm going to eat 80% good food and use 20% flexibility. All right, what does that mean? Okay, my 80% good food, I'm going to have four good meals that are you know full of protein, good fats, fiber, um, a little bit of carbohydrates around training, minimally processed, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, I'm going to do that four meals in a row and I'm going to choose something a little bit less nutrient dense. Mm-hmm. And are you still achieving that goal at the end of the week? Yes. Yeah, you try your best. You try to do yeah. the 80-20. And what, yeah. what about for yourself? Do you, I mean, every, you're human. You, you fall off the rails sometimes and maybe uh, have a 7-Eleven meltdown. Or, uh, of or course. What's your, what's your like, um, or may, maybe just explain a story of when you I don't want to say fall off as too negative, but <laughs> what, what has happened and how did you kind of rebound and get back into your, your structure and your habits? Uh, so last weekend, we're recording this Thursday, was it 30? Today's Thursday, yeah. Thursday, 1st of July. Yeah. Um, so over this last weekend, I, I played rugby against my teammates and we split our team up into two teams and played a sevens match um and it was also one of my my mates farewells so you know I went and had some drinks with the boys afterwards and had a big night and didn't get home till 7 30 in the morning <laughs> there you go so you know it's but I planned for that mm-hmm. I knew that my mate was leaving I knew that I was playing rugby I knew that I hadn't been drinking I'd been doing the right thing you know the right thing in quotation marks I'd been looking after myself for the last month. So I was going into that knowing that hey, I'm going to have a little bit of a blowout. I'm going to enjoy this time. Mm-hmm. Again, because I'm disciplined the majority of the time, that gives me the flexibility to do that. Now, if that becomes a weekly thing, then that becomes a problem, mm-hmm. right? So we want to make our good habits the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. right? So when we condition ourselves to do these things, and again, ties back into making sure that what you're doing is aligning with your values, okay? Then setting small goals, small tasks every day that you need to tick off the list. If you can get up in the morning and, you know, you've written your schedule out the day before and you start the day by getting out of bed when your alarm goes off and then making your bed and then opening the blinds, getting some sunshine in your eyes, getting outside, getting some fresh air, doing five minutes of meditation, whatever it might be, like, man, that's the first five minutes of my day. And I've just won, I've won, I've won, I've won, I've won. And if I can stack win upon win upon win Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, guess what? I've just won the fucking day. I do that over a week, I've won the week. I do that over a month, there's the month, there's the year. What what happens, uh, and I was talking to Phil about that last week as well, it's just saying these, ticking off these 1% can add up after over a year or two, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
56. What I think he said like 38 percent, 34 percent, 37. Oh, there it is. I was, <laughs> I was, I was in there. I was close. Um, but for for you, when you have those big nights, and I think this is important for all of our eight listeners. Um, <laughs> Hi guys. <laughs> I think this is important that when you have those big nights and you know they're coming, do you rebound the next day, or is that kind of a write-off day, and you're planning for the day after? Uh. Again, that'll depend how I feel. Yeah, like typically if I know something's coming up, for example, like if someone has a, a wedding coming up and they're dieting and they're, you know, on the right track, then what I teach my clients is prepare for that, mm-hmm. right? Like you know that you're going to overconsume on whatever a Saturday night. Let's say, you know, you're eating whatever, 2,000 calories a day. So leading into that Saturday, you know you're going to have a blowout. You don't know exactly what your numbers are, but, you know, start planning for it. Mm-hmm. A couple of days out, maybe, you know, Tuesday, maybe you drop down to 1,800 calories, 1,600 calories leading into that Saturday. You know, I'm not saying like just count calories. Also, when you're going into that, you need to make sure that the foods you're eating are very nutrient dense. Yep. So you're preparing your body for, you know, the onslaught essentially of alcohol, toxins, shitty processed foods, whatever it might be, poor sleep patterns, etc you know that your body is going to be under stress right mm-hmm. and you know you you understand stress i'm sure we'll, we'll get into the 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 mushrooms and the stuff that you guys are doing but you know you know you're going to be putting your body under stress so i'm going to be making sure that i minimize that stress leading mm-hmm. up to that by maybe reducing my training load a little bit more um maybe you know drinking plenty more water reducing my calories a little bit making sure that i'm eating good wholesome real colorful natural foods um, and how calculated are you in that in terms of measuring your, your macros, me- counting calories? Are you me- watching your sleep? Are you using devices? How in tune are you into like, cause now we have all these devices and, and technology that you can calculate that you can weigh your food. Are you, are mm-hmm. you, how dialed in are you? Uh, I'm dialed in with certain things, but then I'm not dialed in with other things. And what I mean by dialed in is like, or not dialed in is not tracking. Like I don't track my food, okay, because I don't need to. I can look at a plate of food because I've done it before. Yes, I can look at a plate of food and say, "There's this much energy on that. These are my macronutrient ratios. These are the micronutrients." But you did do that before, before. Yeah. yeah, of course, yeah. Same, of course. Same here. I did that maybe I maybe three years ago, and I'm kind of at that level of where I can get it. And then you kind of cheat because you throw sauce in there and you, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, but that's the thing, man. Yeah. It's like that's it doesn't have to be 100% accurate. Yeah. And it's not going to be, right? Like yeah. I think the, um, the, the food industry allows like 30% sway like up or down with calories and, you know, their food label mm-hmm. and thing like, things like that. So, um, again, like I don't need to track my food because I've done it before and I've got a good understanding of, you know, what – fuels food provides for me but that's a positive association i've created with food right so um in terms of data i do track my i'm wearing a fitbit so i do track yeah man i I track my every morning i track my blood pressure okay i track my waking heart rate and i track my heart rate variability Mm. um and then each day uh, and then i'll track my sleep I track I look my, at my sleep. I look at my sleep. Does, and that helps determine how hard you'll train that day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So this data, you know, there's a difference between data, information, knowledge, and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Data is someone just looking at their app 
and they see a number, okay, but they don't know what that number means. Mm-hmm. Still data, right? Information is what does that number on the screen mean? Mm-hmm. And then the knowledge is, all right, well, I see the number on the screen for sleep, for example, is down. That means that, hey, I probably didn't sleep that well that night and maybe I ate something before bed that was inflammatory that affected my sleep or, you know, maybe I was a little bit anxious because something's going on in my life, blah, 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 blah. Okay, but then the wisdom is taking that information and planning ahead. So if I wake up in the morning and my heart rate variability is down, do you want me to explain that, by the way? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, so heart rate variability, I'll go back to I'll go back to blood pressure, waking heart rate, heart rate variability. So um, this data can give us information on the state of our organism, mm-hmm. right? How much stress it's under at the moment, um, you know, how well it's operating essentially. Like, is it close to homeostasis where everything is balanced, everything's operating normally? Um, so the heart rate variability, if I take that, it gives me a snapshot into my autonomic nervous system. So when people look at um, heart rate. Yeah, I listened to this podcast you did, I think. Yeah. Uh, so yesterday I was listening. To okay. It, yeah. yeah. So the heart rate is, you know, if it's 60 beats per minute, yeah. then it's not boom, 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 like a metronome. What's happening if, it's, if your heart rate's 60 beats per minute, the first heart contraction that pumps blood might be 870 milliseconds and the next one might be 1240 milliseconds and next one's 976 milliseconds. Next one's... 1148 milliseconds whatever it is okay so that's high variability Mm -hmm. between the heart contractions that's a good thing that means that my body's taking all this information from the environment and it's adjusting you know the systems within my body Mm -hmm. to deal with this input um so high heart rate variability it's a good thing it means your body's pretty well at homeostasis and your ability to deal with stress is heightened so that means that hey if I wake up, I've had good sleep, my heart rate variability is good, my readiness score is good, then I'm going to get off my training today. And you can track that. on. I never saw – I've only tracked the sleep. I haven't tra- tracked the heart rate variability. That's in the, the app itself. Um, are you using – I'm u- using the Fitbit app. Or are you using a, a different app? No. So I use a chest strap because okay. the technology used in the watches exactly. or the wearables compared to a chest strap is different. Um, and the – these just aren't as accurate. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I use a, a chest strap, a heart rate monitor to to test that along with my, my waking heart rate. So, um, as I said, like if my heart rate variability is down, then I know that, hey, maybe I'm still going to train today, but I know that my readiness, my body's under stress essentially. So I'm going to adjust my training. Maybe I'll do a little bit of extra meditation in the morning. Um, maybe I still train, but instead of doing a heavy hard session, maybe I'll do some mobility, um, some soft tissue work, maybe a little bit of, you know, low intensity, steady state work so that I'm giving my, I'm still getting some movement in, mm-hmm. but I'm not adding more stress on top of an already, already stressed organism. I'm doing things that's going to drive the parasympathetic state, rest and digest and allow me to rest, recover, recuperate and get back to homeostasis. Maybe, you know, turn my phone off a little bit earlier, turn my lights down a little bit earlier, maybe eat a little bit earlier and go to bed a little bit earlier, right? And I'm choosing different tasks throughout my day. Luckily, I you know, basically work for myself. Obviously, I have, have my gig at Target, but then I've got my own stuff going on. 
So then I'll start adjusting my work tasks to mm-hmm. suit my energy levels, to suit, you know, that data that's basically giving me the, the information um, in the morning to then be able to put some action steps in place throughout the day to, to then balance everything out. And are you applying this, like the educational aspect at Tiger, or is this more like your, your one-on-one mentor and coaching? Yeah, so... Okay, going back to what we said earlier where I was like, watch this space. Um, this is stuff that I've been doing with a handful of fighters okay. um, in the past, particularly uh, Pityan. Yep. Um, so I've basically been testing these systems on guys like that and other professional fighters. Um, and this is something that I'm going to be implementing into Tiger to give people and the, the are education. Accept- are they accepting it or are they hesitant? Um, is it easy to get them on board? Because again, there, it's a whole other di- uh, dimension to your, your life when you introduce this tracking. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you have to be very disciplined. You could do it for, again, a couple days, but by the third day, you could just give up. Do you, t- did you find that these fighters or the people that you're, you're educating with this new information that they're taking it on quite easily? Or are they more hesitant? Yeah, um, great question. Everyone's, everyone's different. Um, at the end of the day, like it's my job as a coach to find a way to effectively communicate this stuff. So every single person is going to be different. And man, I'll tell you, like what was a game changer for someone like Peter Yarn? Like when he was training for, when he was in fight camp before um, he fought Jose Aldo for the UFC Bantamweight yep. Championship, like, you know, he was training through quarantine uh, with a small select number of people, um, myself included. Once the gym reopened again, you know, I was, ta- I was already taking his his blood pressure, his, wake, his um, HRV before each training session. And the cool thing was, I, like, I remember one time in particular, he'd been training really hard for like four or five weeks. Uh, we'd gotten back into the gym. We'd only been back in the gym for like two weeks or something. And I, was, I could see his HRV was trending down. And I was like, I, was like, I trained him on Thursday and I was like, next week, Take it he, off. he speaks Russian. Yeah, I speak English. So, you know, it's difficult to communicate at times so i had to really slow it down i was like next week like a deload week i was like next week yeah. deload yeah yep us no strength and conditioning no mma you choose one session per day monday wednesday friday hard tuesday thursday recover recover massage sauna ice bath mm-hmm. blah, blah 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 but they're fighters they're not going to listen to oh, that dude i saw, <laughs> I saw him There's i saw, no him, saw him running big butter on the weekend <laughs> right but then come monday tuesday the next week he was fucked, mate. He was in bed. Right? Your, immune, because your immune system's jeopardized. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. So yeah. he's, he'd pushed so hard into a sympathetic state, right? Like stress is important. We need stress for survival, yeah. right? But we need to optimize stress. We don't need to reduce it. Sometimes you need to reduce it, but you know, we, need to, we don't need to completely cut it out. Like it's essential for ed- adaptation, mm-hmm. but we need to optimize it. And he'd pushed so far into a sympathetic state that, and I could see that with his data because it was telling me and I was also connecting that data with how he was performing, how he was moving. You know, I go through some balance-based work, stability-based work, um, single leg, single arm work, taking the joints through multiple positions, etc. And, you know, that the state of his nervous system, when it's under stress, it's like movement's not a priority for me. You know, I need to recover. So it's going to start shutting different things down, starting to prioritize these different systems. So... I could tell, man, it's like his balance is normally awesome. You know, coordination, timing, accuracy is normally awesome. And then, you know, I'm going through these drills, these assessments, and I can see these all over the place. 
but I've also just taken his data and seen that his heart rate variability is trending well, down. Isn't I can that see that he's the, under the, massive stress. The biggest, uh, the most difficult piece of the puzzle is uh, expressing this data to the fighters, but actually getting them not to train. Maybe this is off the top of my head, but I think that involves a conversation with the wife and saying, oh, "Hey, dude, that was don't let them out." That was that was that was the point that I was getting to. Right? Oh. It's like you know I'd been telling him telling him this information for you know months leading up to yeah. it. And, you know, he ignored me and I, I said to him, I was like, if you train next week, train hard, you'll get sick. He got sick and he comes back the next week, man. He goes, coach, I'm sorry. I listen to you now. <laughs> yeah, he had to make that mistake. Yeah, to, I guess so. To, re right? to realize well, they, that, hey, there's something to this. Well, they don't think, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're able to see the, you're a fortune teller. Yeah. I mean, they're like, how would you know I'm getting sick, going to get sick just based on data? But um, no, that, that's. That's interesting because I think that's happened with other UFC fighters like uh, Hamza Chemaev as well. He kept training when he had COVID and he just couldn't get better. Well, because he's sick. The immune system's jeopardized. Yeah. Um, do, do you see this in, in, are you working with other fighters as well that maybe you're allowed to speak about at Tiger Muay Thai for strength and conditioning? Yeah, so um, I've been working with a number of sponsored fighters who I've got an affiliation with their manager over the last, obviously not not last couple of months, but probably last eight months prior to that. Um, just again building out systems, testing these systems, um, and just seeing how it all carries over to, you know, their craft, mm -hmm. and. The results are there, man. Mm -hmm. The results are there. So, you know, we've got to keep refining the systems, get more people on board, create buy-in for the fighters. And and again, like we're going through a little bit of a reshuffle at Tiger at the moment. We've just had a couple of coaches leave. We've got a, a number of other guys we've that have just started and other guys that we're looking at to come in mm -hmm. and to be a part of the team. Um, and, you know, there's been... Again, like I come from... A, a team-based background you know i'm part of a big family i've got five younger brothers and sisters um i was in the military i always worked with with teams you know my first section in iraq was like 10 people um i went to east timor i had five six people in a patrol and then four people as part of a sniper team in afghanistan mm -hmm. played rugby my entire life so um, you know, taking these principles from these team-based environments and putting them into, you know, an individual sport like, you know, MMA, I Muay Thai, etc. Where, here's the thing, man, like, but, if you but look at... UFC, or sorry, not the UFC, MMA, it is a team sport. Just people don't understand. There's a team behind them. 100%. Right? And, this, and that's the thing, like, right now there's, or in the last couple of years that, that I've been there, you know, it's something that I've picked up on that could definitely be improved. Um, and that's basically what I'm looking to build out at Tiger now. So um, the goal is to get the right people on board, not just the right people in terms of coaches, but also the fighters that are going to buy yep. into the system as well. Um, because, man, like, let's be honest, there, there can definitely be a lot of ego in the fight game. Okay. Um, and, I mean, that's, that's important, man. Like, if you're going to get into a fucking cage and, you know, try and tear someone's head off, then... Yeah, you need that ego. You need... You yeah, man. The, you need the confidence as well. Yeah. Are you, um, and maybe a quick little plug here, are you applying this Swiss 8 approach to your fighters as well? Or is this applied to all aspects of your training? Um, these, yeah. pr these principles. Yeah, this applies to all aspects of training. So 
Um, Swiss Eight's a proactive mental health program that was initially designed by veterans for veterans initially, but then obviously, you know, COVID happened and everyone's stuck at home. And and look, man, here's the thing, you know, as a veteran, we've gone through this before where, you know, you get out of the army and you lose your identity, your, you, you, you have your routine. Mm-hmm. Like when you're in the army, man, it's like you rock up, you be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there with the right kit and you're good to go. Everything else is like taken care of. You have lunch at the same time, you have breakfast at the same time, blah, 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 blah. Like everything is so structured and so regimented. Come home and it's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's free, yeah. Um, you know, I went through this as well. Once I got out of the army, I kind of lost my way a little bit. And to be honest, man, like I needed that time, right? I just got back from Afghanistan and done six years full time. I'd missed, you know, birthdays, mm-hmm. um, weddings, funerals, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I needed that time to kind of unwind and just relax a little bit, let my hair down and be a little bit undisciplined and mm-hmm. fucking sleep in and you know, skip training sessions and all that sort of stuff. But then after probably six, eight, nine months, I, you know, I realized that I was not getting depressed. I wouldn't say that, but, you know, I just wasn't my typical self and mm-hmm. I could feel my mental health and my physical health, like just slightly declining. And I was like, all right, what's going on here? Um, so, yeah, I started again doing those things that had made me such a good soldier, getting up at the same time, making my bed, shaving every day, training, blah, 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 blah. And just, you know, having a little bit of structure in my life. Um, and that's, so Swiss 8 was initially designed by a couple of mates who had gone through the same process and, you know, fell into a little bit of depression and I guess the wheels kind of fell off and they'd lost their way. They didn't really know what they're doing. And mm-hmm. the catalyst for them creating an app was uh, one of the boys took his own life, um, which has unfortunately occurred way too often in the last last few years um so the boys like right we initially they want to get a um a retreat where they could send the boys and like teach them these life skills to reintegrate them back into society using all these um trying to bring structure to an unstructured environment yeah 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 exactly so um the boys created an app and they pushed that out to the wider community last year as people went into as when people went into lockdown to give them some structure, give them some tools to be able to deal with, you know, losing their, losing their jobs, losing, you know, people in their lives, losing their, their, some people, their entire life, like everything they'd built. PTSD, it stems from lack of structure. Like I, I I think this is a, it's a term that's loosely thrown around in today's world. We understand PTSD. We know what it stands for. But unless you were actually, uh, you went through it, it's very difficult for someone like myself or anyone else to um, um, picture it and, and really understand what is PTSD? What is that feeling of, because it must be beyond depression. It's, some, it's another level. Could you explain a little bit of what is PTSD exactly? Uh, so, first of all, I'm not clinically qualified to well, speak about not, this not and, I, and I've never, I've, I don't yeah. suffer. I haven't suffered from PTSD okay. either. So okay. um, I do have mates that have suffered from PTSD, do suffer from PTSD. Um, but I, I definitely think there's something to, I don't know, man. So it's, it's a complex subject, right? Like it's, and I think it goes back to for everybody, it's different as well. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a snowball, right? I, I think you know something happens in your life, you create an association with it, you tell that story, 
And then each time something happens in your life that, you know, you make these connections with that event that occurred, then that plays over in your head again. And, um, and again, like I, th I honestly think it ties in with stress. Okay. Right. Like you have, if you have like a soldier who comes back from Afghanistan, for example, they're in this heightened state all the time, mm -hmm. right? Like they're, they're constantly pushing out cortisol, adrenaline, and they're, they're, their brain essentially this thinks doesn't drop threat. this doesn't drop down after you come back you're constantly at this this uh state of mind this level yeah yeah um and i think that's where the issues start coming in it's one you know what whatever's occurred overseas i think it goes back before that as well to be honest i think you know like even going overseas having i remember uh probably about two or three months before i went to Afghanistan for nine months. I was with my sniper team and we we're conducting like a very realistic um, first aid, um, not a course, but like a, like a week, week long training. Yep. Um, that was quite realistic. And like we had pigs there that we were cutting open and we had guys that had lost limbs that were, um, you know, playing casualties and things like that. So um, we we're on that, that training um, program and, we all got called in and, and we were told that a couple of boys had been killed in Afghanistan that morning, uh, that morning with their, their um, explosive detection dog. And, you know, this was a couple of months before we were going over there and I just remember um, sitting down with my sniper team and just, like, having an, an open conversation with them and saying, hey, like, we're going to make sure that we are doing everything we can to put ourselves in a good position. We're going to make sure that we take this fucking training as, as serious as possible and challenge ourselves, but not only challenge ourselves, make sure that we're like winning, make sure that we're achieving these things. And then we're, we're constantly reviewing and adjusting and, you know, tweaking our, um, our standard operating procedures so that we could essentially go to Afghanistan with, you know, the tools required to be able to perform our job. And, you know, that was a conversation that we had was like, maybe we're not all going to come back alive. And again, go, this goes back to what we spoke about right at the start about I, I think know, that, understanding that's a, our own mortality. That's a good segue into that. And if, if you want to discuss this, I thought it was quite interesting. I listened to it today. Uh, October 13th. Very prominent date in my life. I, I listened to your podcast on that. I thought it was very interesting. You were very articulate the way you explained it. And I think it's a perspective from someone that's been in that position, that the story was very uh, emotional, intriguing, and, and uh, even for myself that hasn't done something like that, uh, able to connect to. Would you mind sharing that story? It's up to you, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and this will kind of tie back into the Swiss 8 stuff that we we're yes. talking about as well. Um, so October 13th, I'd been in Afghanistan for about two weeks. Um, we had done a number of, partner patrols with the outgoing team. Uh, this was the first patrol that we we're doing once they'd flown out. So it was our first um, standalone patrol. Um, and our job was to, our base's job was to um, train the Afghan National Army so that essentially they could take over security of their own country once we left. Um, so we went out on patrols with my four-man sniper team. Uh, we were working with about 30-ish other Australians and about 30 to 40 Afghani counterparts. 
And we'd had intelligence that there was like 20 Taliban in the area who'd just come in from Pakistan. Uh, well, the first probably hour of the patrol, we came face to face with them out the front of a mosque. Um, but and, they, and they, if I just jump in on that quick, um, the Taliban coming from Pakistan into Afghanistan, are they coming in to, to try to take over as you leave? Is that their intention? Yeah, so the team that was there before us had done a really good job and they'd like killed and captured a number of key leaders in the area. So they'd lost a lot of ground. They'd lost a lot of freedom of movement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they knew that we were, they would have a new team flying in soon and the old team that done so much damage was leaving, right? So they knew that was occurring and then they, they ensured they had people on the ground to take advantage of that. So... Um, yeah, we ended up coming face to face with these guys coming out of a mosque first thing that morning on patrol and, you know, they know the rules, man. They know, they know our rules of engagement and as long as they didn't have anything on them, like we were just like seriously looking in their face going, oh, these motherfuckers, like we yeah. know why they're here. They're here to fucking kill and us. And you can't just arrest them at that point, no. even knowing, even if they have nothing on them. Exactly. Exactly. So we were going through the process of, you know, um, scanning their eyes, fingerprint scans, et cetera, et cetera, like gathering their data. Um, but, you know, dude, like they don't carry driver's license like we do. They don't have their wallet on them, yeah. <laughs> you know. So they've got their AK-47 stashed around the corner. So we're like, all right, we know why these these guys are here. Like we, we know they're here. We've got the intelligence and now we've just seen them. So it's confirmed. Um, so anyway, went on a patrol. Uh, the engineers were searching a specific area. Um, they had a security section, were... Um, setting up a cordon around that area uh, and also like, you know, mentoring the Afghani counterparts. My sniper team were conducting a satellite patrol where we were kind of moving in and out of buildings through, um, through the fields and trying to interdict anyone that was laying IEDs, ambushes and things like that. So anyway, we uh, ended up like trying to interdict a couple of people and ended up missing them because we were a couple of hundred metres away by the time we got there, you know, moving, you know, quite stealthily through the area, they disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, and then we got word over the radio that uh, the, the search had basically been finished and it was our role to then move into a location, find an exit point to get out of the green zone back into the desert because there's these um, aqueducts. What, what is the green zone for anyone that doesn't understand that? Yeah, good question. So the green zone, it's not a safe area. The green zone is literally where the trees are because in the valleys, you've got these big mountains on either side. And then in the valley, it's like, it's where the river runs. And then obviously where the river runs, that's where the greenage is, mm -hmm. right? So then they have these aqueducts where they basically like dig these channels to channel the water from the river into their fields. You know, there's a heap of marijuana growing yeah. and... Um, poppies and things like that. So um, some of these aqueducts were massive, man, like two metres wide, two metres deep. And, you know, there was only certain footbridges where you could cross over. So that's obviously where, you know, Taliban would lay IEDs and target yeah. us as we we're going through. And they're trying to essentially channel us into these areas. So anyway, word came over the radio. Yep. Snipers go and do your thing, find a position for us to break out. So we started moving in that direction. We got to a certain point and we just saw atmospherics deteriorate, you know, like just everyone just disappeared, man. All and the, then there's the, like the local people living there. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. the locals just disappeared. They saw us and they're like, Oh shit. And they got the fuck out of there. Mm -hmm. So we're like, Oh, there's something bad's about to happen. Um, and could you paint the picture of, of where you're at? This is a small city. Cause in my mind, it's kind of looking like 
maybe uh, 50 houses in, in the desert or what are, what kind of, what is the size of this city? Uh, what's the population? What's going, what's I, going on there? I remember something like uh, the lone survivor, you know, that movie, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's what I picture. Yeah. yeah. The green zone is like, it's a long like belt that follows the river. Yep. Right. So wherever there's water, like that's where the green zone is. That's where people live. So it's not like, it's not like a traditional city where you've got a CBD and then they build out from there. Okay. Like, like in the cities, that's where it is. But like in the valleys, it's like literally just people just live along the river. So it's kind one, of sporadic down the river. Uh, there's there's like specific areas and specific villages, but okay. it's like one village leads into the next village, leads into the next village, okay. leads into the next village. So, you know, there were, there are areas where the green zone was only like a couple of hundred meters wide. So then there'd be, you know, whatever, 30, 40 koala complexes in there, you know, mud brick homes where the locals would live and they'd have like their entire family in there. And yep. then there'd be one here and then be another one, you know, 150 metres away, um, so on and so forth. But then other areas like the green zone was three kilometres wide. Wow. So, yeah, it was quite complex terrain. Um, so, yeah, we got to this particular area and uh, <laughs> atmospheric started deteriorating guys were coming out and like literally like herding their goats, herding their sheeps back into the houses, like mums calling their kids over and, and mm. shit like that. And we're like, all right, this is not looking good. Like, let's get the fuck out of here. And as we like drop back into some cover, just observe what was going on, on a little bit. And then we're about to start moving off. We saw this one dude like walking down the footpad, which is basically, you know, there was, wasn't, yeah, there was some cars and stuff there, but people walked um, and they had these like little mopeds that they'd, they'd drive around on. And the footpad was like literally the, basically the main road of that village was a dirt track, right? Um, we saw one dude walking down there and we're like, oh, what's this dude doing? Um, he was the only person in the area and he hadn't seen us at the time. So we stayed in a little bit of cover, let him come a little bit closer. Once he got close enough, I came out with my, my rifle in my shoulder, pointed at him and I was like, you know, started speaking to him in, in Pashtun and you know, told him stop, told him come over. As soon as he saw me, he fucking, he went to turn and run off. Um, so kind of sprung him. I already had one in the chamber, but I just cocked it, let him know that, you know, yeah. I've got one in the spout ready to roll. Um, and then he kind of like started walking over. By this stage, he was about 100 metres away. He started walking along the footpad. Um, he gets to a certain point, he wouldn't come any closer. By this stage, I'm probably about 40 metres away from him. So I'm like, tamps, cover me. I'm going to head over. You know, I'm carrying my... Um, my first aid kit, my X-ray kit, which basically tells us if they've had any explosives on them, yep. um, if they've been firing weapons and things like that. So um, I basically walked over, slung my weapon. My mate was covering me. I went and X-rayed him. And then my team leader was probably about 10 metres behind me. And he, like, turns to this dude and goes, Oi, Pakistani, Talib. And the dude goes, oh, and went like this and turned, man. And as soon as he turned, boom, it just lit up like it was fucking getting there was just rounds kicking up all around us mm -hmm. um so i hit the deck pulled that dude down packed everything i could like turned started firing and there was i turned there was a wall about 10 meters away so sprinted over there jumped over the wall turned around tried to identify where the where the firing points were i was carrying a, an assault rifle um but also had a great grenade launcher attachment because i couldn't exi see exactly where the firing points were i was like all right i think that's where the firing point was Instead of a direct fire weapon, I was like, I'm just going to start lobbing some high explosive grenades. At this over point, there. is it just it's too dusty? You cannot see anything because so much shit's going off, and it's difficult uh, to was, see where to shoot. Or there was obviously like adrenaline. There was dust kicking up. Yeah. We could still see what was going on, but there's there's obviously still a little bit of fog of war. We're going like, what the fuck's going on here? Like, 
Um, you know, is are we in a complex ambush where they've laid an IED that hasn't gone off, which actually happened to be the case. But, um, yeah, anyway, jumped over this wall and this dude was like crawling. So I grabbed him, picked him up, dragged him over the wall. I'm still sitting there firing, um, throwing some high explosive grenades down. I look over my mate, um, Seamus, the team leader's on, on his ass, like single firing single handedly, dragging his tourniquet out. Mm. Um, so we, we, punched down a heap of rounds, um, got their heads down, got the initiative. And then uh, my mate Rob went over, put his tourniquet on. I ran over, dragged him into cover um, and then started patching Seamus up and, you know, giving him IV fluids and morphine and all that sort of shit. By that stage, the the medic had gotten there. So he took over the, the first aid duties and the other boys had like rolled through and continued the fight with, with you know, with the Taliban chasing them up and... Um, yeah, from there we put Seamus on a helicopter and then ended up going up on top of uh, some high ground so that we could observe what was going on, call in fire, provide battlefield commentary, um, provide direct fire if needed um, and support. And uh, about 30 minutes of sitting in location on top of this hill, uh, Rob like sweeps away a little bit of dirt and he looks at us with his eyes wide and he's like, fuck boys, I'm like, what's up man? He goes, we're sitting on top of an IED and luckily it didn't go off. What so. is an I- IED? Uh, improvised explosive so device. Is, is that built? Is it kind of like a landmine in some sort of sense? Or yeah, basically. So, um, you know, the Taliban aren't going to try and fight us like front on um, because they're at much more of risk. Yeah. Whereas if they can lay an IED, um, which basically use pressure plates, so they'll use you know telephones and things like that to make a call that would connect the circuit. Um, and once that circuit was connected, then they'd have like pressure plates. So two pieces of wood, um, taped together kind of like with springs on either end with metal on the inside. And as we step on top of it, it creates that connection. And then when you step it up, boom. Yeah. Okay. So at this point you're on top of the IED. We're sitting on top of an IED that didn't go off. So yeah, you know, could have potentially died twice that day. And, uh, yeah, man, that was, that was a massive, massive adrenaline dump. I remember getting back to base, man. I was probably out for like six to eight hours and I was just, I was fucked. I was like, Oh, I need, I need sleep. So, um, yeah, back out on patrol the next day and burst a machine gun fire, ripped up the ground between my mate and I, and I was like, fuck, this is going to be a long trip. My God. Yeah. That's, that's quite intense. And, and you said we would tie that all into Swiss eight and, and, and probably applying those principles into this as well. Yeah. So, uh, as I said, a couple of like really, difficult days there and you know we did our best to deal with those emotions not knowing whether our team leader was going to live or die knowing that you know we're two weeks into a at that stage an an eight-month deployment that ended up turning into nine months knowing that you know one of the guys that put us through all of our training was no longer with us we didn't have that leadership element anymore so um that led to you know all these what-if scenarios been here for two weeks all right fuck someone's already been shot you know, almost been killed twice already, three times in two days. So, you know, that led led to all these what-if scenarios, which then affected my sleep, which then affected my ability to perform, do my job as a lead scout. I was the eyes and ears of the patrol. So, you know, I always thought that if I, if I made a mistake and, you know, the bloke behind me copped around to the chest or stood on an ID, lost his life, lost a limb or whatever it might be, then that was going to be on my conscience for the rest of my life. Mm. So I hadn't been taught any of these tools to be able to manage my mind and 
the only thing that I could do was like, I just started counting my breaths every night before I went to bed, started counting my breaths. Um, and over time, over a couple of weeks, you know, of, of just, again, practicing that mm-hmm. as something I hadn't done before, hadn't really paid any attention to it, kind of thought of it as woo-woo. Um, but once I started doing it, like it allowed me to get to sleep, it allowed me to wake up and be well rested and then be able to perform that day knowing that... You would consider this your a form of meditation? Well, I didn't know it at the time, but yes. Yeah, so... Um, again, I didn't know it at the time, but the byproduct of that was, you know, it changed my mindset. When I started focusing on my breath, I was like, well, what if this happens tomorrow? We know we're going here. That's where Seamus got shot. That's where the ID was. That's where blah, 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 blah. And instead of focusing on those things that were outside of my control, I was just focusing on my breath. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me to then focus on the things that were within my control as a byproduct. All right, cool. We're going here. I can't control what's going to happen there, but I do know that once we cross that line, once we get past that koala complex, we know that that's where the bad dudes are. We know this person lives in this location. We know that they know we're coming each time. So, you know, what can I do to be proactive Mm -hmm. and make sure that I'm effective at my job? Not only effective at my job of, you know, being the eyes and ears of the patrol, but also like mitigating the risks and potentially getting the jump on someone who's setting something up for us to take them out before they had an opportunity to take us out or set something up. Um, so, yeah, uh, and again, I'll tie that back in. Like that breath work that allowed me to focus on what I could control. Then once I went back to Australia last year and did that yoga course, and again, one of my mates was running that course um, because he used install yoga as an alternate therapy for PTSD, used it to deal with anxiety, depression, had taught a heap of other guys these tools to be able to manage their mind to deal with these things. So um, once I did that course last year, I told that story. Was like, has anyone gone through stress? Anyone, blah, blah, blah. And I told that story and he was like, you've been meditating for years. You just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and like that's the whole concept of Swiss 8, right? It's like it's, it's all about, you know, sleep, nutrition, um, time management, discipline, um, fitness, personal growth, mindfulness, minimalism. And it's about taking these tools, taking these principles and then applying them into your day to day. And it's something I've been doing for many years. And that's or whatever why. you do, whether it's uh, whether it's um, studying, whether it's trying to learn a new skill set, whether it's strength and conditioning, you're applying these principles to everything you do in life. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's about looking at these tools and then figuring out how can I tweak, how can I tweak them? How can I adjust them to my day to allow me to be better at life, which is their, their motto. Right. So, um, it was already something that I'd been doing for years. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've just been tweaking and adjusting over the years, refining to suit whatever's going on in my life as my values change. Um, whether that's like a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, a yearly basis or whatever. Um, and adjusting those tools to, to suit what was, whatever was going on. So Adrian, the founder of Swiss A asked me to be, become an ambassador for them a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm because I'd already been using these tools and, you know, something that I think is important for, for other veterans to see as well is like, you know, other guys have gone through tough times. They've fallen off the wagon, so to speak. Um, you know, maybe the wheels have fallen off a little bit. They've got into, you know, a bad mindset, but then they've used these tools to be able to get out of them and then continue to excel in whatever path they choose in life. And have, have they um, 
from Swiss 8 is is there any data behind it that is able to show the success rates from it? Yeah, so there's uh, some research going on at, I think it's Newcastle or University of Newcastle um, in Australia at the moment. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're still waiting to see what the data says. Um, but at the end of the day, that's why the app was created because, you know, we had all, we've got all this anecdotal evidence. Mm-hmm where Adrian's, you know, talking to his mates and they're all getting together on Anzac Day or for weddings or bucks parties or whatever it is. And, you know, it, all it takes is one person to say, hey, you know what, like my mental health hasn't been great, man. Like I've, I haven't been feeling great. And, um, you know, the shit going on in my life that I can't control and I can't really, I don't know how to handle it. And then one person says that and then that kind of starts conversation. And then someone else says that and then someone else says that and someone else says that. And then it's like, hey, man, like when you feel like this, have you tried doing that? Would you say that uh, you have this structure in the army and then again you come back home and uh, you're living in an unstructured world. Is Swiss 8 recreating that brotherhood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the app is all about giving people the tools to be proactive mm-hmm. and looking ahead uh, again, day-to-day basis, week, weekly basis, monthly basis, etc. Um, but what they're also working on now is they've just done, they've just finished up like the Fink Desert Race where they get, you know, former soldiers to get together and they've got guys that are riding the bikes, they've got mechanics, they've got guys that are, you know, doing the admin logistics, they've got guys that are cooking feeds and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So they're kind of like recreating um, that brotherhood and just teaching, you know, taking these skills that we've already learned, but just repurposing them mm-hmm. into something else and, and creating that tribe again, because I think that's something that's, that's, that's missing man is, you know, as I said, like I, I, I went from being in the army, being in Darwin to then, you know, wanting to follow a girl into and chasing a relationship with a girl that, you know, I, I want to see where it would go. And I basically left my tribe behind Right, so that was a difficult process, and I'm I'm a hundred percent grateful for Lauren for, you know, her ability to, you know, impact me the way mm. that she did through that process because it was a very difficult process, and I was away from my friends, I was away from my family, you know. So, um, I think that's an important component is is giving guys, again, these tools that they've already learned, mm-hmm. but it's just repurposing them. Um, to suit whatever's going on in their life and then giving them that sense of brotherhood and that, that purpose, man, I think purpose is, mm-hmm. uh, such an important thing in, in, in life, life in general, in yeah. life, man. Yeah. Yeah. Cause purpose, purpose brings achievement and achievement brings fulfillment, right? On, on a lighter note, um, you spent some time in Darwin. What does budge you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're pronouncing it wrong. I know. I, 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 I was going to say it's either like Buju or Buju, but I'm like, I can't do the Aussie accent. I'm definitely going to pronounce it wrong, but what does it mean? Uh, Buju. There you go. See, Buju. I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. even got it if you told me it's, it. Oh man. It's a, it's a different, <laughs> it's a different slang up there. Okay. Yeah, I did like, I lived there for 10, 12 years on and off and yeah, even I don't understand <laughs> some so of that. In in context, like when would someone use that? Put that into a sentence. Don't worry, I did I did some real deep research on you. Fuck, <laughs> that's All gonna right. throw you off. <laughs> um, 
So I, I, I don't know. I don't know how true this is. It could be complete bullshit. But yep. uh, I did hear that like when I was away with whatever, like one of the younger, like under 16s, under 17s rugby teams, like Buju meant like Wales vagina or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't know if that's true. All right. Um, but then it also uh, was used to say, oh, that chick's a Buju. Like that chick's good looking or attractive. Oh, okay. So yeah, my... My mates call me Buju. <laughs> so not that, many people know that. No, no, don't, don't worry. I, 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 I got some information. So on where'd that. you get that from, bro? Okay, don't, don't, don't worry about that. Not giving away your sources. No, though. not my sources. <laughs> okay, so and is this still commonly used in Darwin, or is that more in your local group that was using that? Oh no, it's uh, man, like the slang in Darwin is nothing. It's like nothing I've heard anywhere else in Australia. Like unless you live, if you went, if you walked into Darwin now, you and you sat at a, a restaurant or a bar, you wouldn't know what the hell they're saying. Yeah, I mean, it depends what groups you're with. Like some people will will use it to take the piss. Yeah. Uh, but then like other people, like that's how they talk. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember like playing rugby against some guys, and I was like, someone would say something to me, I'm like, what the fuck did he just say? <laughs> it's like, oh, blah blah blah, and they would like just. Yeah, they can. I, I used to live on the Gold Coast. Uh, I went to school at Griffith. I did a study abroad for a year, and I had some buddies from Ipswich. I can't remember. Way inland Gold Coast. Mm. And it took me like six months to figure out what the <laughs> hell they were saying. Like, yeah. it's it's very twangy, these like inlanders, I'd say, yeah. in some parts of Australia. And the sentences just run on. It's sen- it seems oh. like one giant word. So it's... Yeah, it, it was it was difficult even for me when I was there. And I can't imagine if you're like a non-native English speaker being in Australia. Oh, like, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. got to be difficult. Speaking about being on the piss. So um, there's a bit <laughs> of a story I, I heard. Uh, let, let's go back real far. 2003, uh, you're in Sydney, you're at your mate's house, and you fell down the stairs and fractured your skull, and your buddy walked right by you. Do you want to talk about that story? You can skip it if you want. No, man, that's... Uh Fuck, you have done some research. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's uh, it's not exactly how it happened. Because okay. um, you can so, call out your buddy that might have told me. <laughs> uh, well, what had actually happened, I'd, I'd gone yeah. out. It was like a Thursday night. I'd gone out after rugby training and um, went to a mate's, I think it was like, I don't know, birthday, 18th, 19th, 20th or something like that. So 2003, what, what you're about 19, 20 at this uh i was 18 18 okay yeah um yeah went out on the piss was double fisting got fucked up don't remember anything Mm. uh a couple of days later i connected all this afterwards um but one of my mate i think it was the guy whose birthday party i'd gone to apparently i was on the phone to him telling him i was in the back of a paddy wagon all right and i don't remember any of that um so anyway i i don't recall that uh, all I remember is like waking up at my front door, uh, like seven o'clock in the morning, seven thirty in the morning or something, going inside and just like feeling fucked. Like my head was throbbing. I felt like shit. I slept all day. This was Friday. I was supposed to be in the city for a course. Yeah. Obviously didn't make that. Um, so I slept all day Friday, Friday night, slept all day Saturday, got up like Saturday afternoon, went into the lounge room to try and watch a footy. And just like the the lights and the colors and the sound was just making my head throb, and I was like, "Man, this is this is the worst hangover I've had. Like, this is horrible." Um, 
So I went to sleep that night and then woke up the next day and was still in the same state. And I was like, all right, this is, this is not cool. Like I've done something here. So yeah, I ended up, uh, riding myself with no helmet, like a dickhead to Royal North Shore hospital okay. and like checking myself in there. And then, yeah, they did all the scans and, and stuff like that. And you know, the, the, the next week was a little bit of a blur. Um, I ended up in intensive care and, Jeez. um, was in there for a week. And I just remember I was like, I was kind of like, coming to dozing off coming to i remember coming to one time and like my mum was next to my bed and i was like what's going on how'd, how'd you get here and she told me of this premonition where she was you know three hours away um in the blue mountains or just outside the blue mountains yep. and i think she said she was watching tv or something and she saw my face in like a hospital bed on tv and she turned around to my stepdad at the time and was like, something's happened to Sean. Yeah. And then she started like calling people and um, checking up and blah, blah, blah. Like I was, wasn't answering my phone or anything like that. Um, and then I think she got hold of one of my mates that I live with and um, yeah, came and like found me. So, so what, you, had, you, had a fra- you had a concussion, fractured skull or? Yeah, I had a fractured skull. From falling down the stairs? Or well, you don't I, know. I, I've got no idea. No idea. All I know was, you know, again, looking back at, um, you know, putting it together afterwards, maybe I was being a fucking menace. Maybe, maybe and some someone slogged me. Yeah, and then I ended up in a in a paddy wagon. I assume the police like checked my um, my driver's license and just like left me at the front door. And then yeah, one of the boys, I think both the boys actually like got up and you know walked out the door, just walked past you, like on the way to work, and just like oh fuck, Cobes, what are you doing, mate? <laughs> It's okay. So. We, won't, we won't go too much blast from the past, but uh, one more story. Uh, tell us about the time you nearly died in a rugby match. What happened there? Um, so, got back from Afghanistan 2011. Uh, actually, whilst I was in Afghanistan, uh, one of the, I'll say the rugby mafia, who was a high-ranking officer, had come out to our patrol base and was like, hey, Defence Force Rugby World Cup is on this year. Get in contact with the coach. Get in contact with the strength and conditioning coach. Start putting together, you know, training program, blah, blah, blah. Once you get back, you're going to have a trial match in Canberra. Um, you've got an opportunity to represent Australia in Defence Force World Cup. I was like, all right, sweet. So got back from that trip. Everyone else went on holidays, um, went and did their own thing, visiting family, friends, etc. And I was like, I'm getting stuck in a rugby. I'm going to make this team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that, flew down to Canberra, played in a trial match down there, uh, played well, got selected, then went into camp as two month, two month camp. So we had about, I think four weeks or so where we're playing, you know, we're training, we're playing, um, just like exhibition matches against other teams. This was to go to play on the international team. So I didn't, I didn't understand that. Like at what, what level is it you're going towards? Uh, Still amateur, amateur, okay. but like fairly high level. Like some of the guys that we played against had like professional rugby yeah. contracts and things like that. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I made that team. We went into camp, spent about a month traveling around Australia, playing um, exhibition matches, training, etc. Competition kicked off. Uh, we played all of our games in Sydney and Canberra. Top four teams out of 12 went to New Zealand, played in the, the semifinals, finals. Uh we beat Samoan Police in the semi-final. 
went to the final and then played against the British Army. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a number of injuries, obviously, from you know two months in camp, uh, penultimate game. And we had a number of injuries. A couple of guys went off. People got shifted around different positions, etc. And uh, one of their British Army players had made a break. Is a Fijian international. He was running down the sideline. I came across as fullback to make a cover tackle. And as I made the tackle, I kind of hit him and swung around him. And as he, as I swung around him, my winger was like chasing back and had uh, had basically went gone to tackle him at the same time. And I swung around him and my face just went <laughs> with his thigh. And I just went, I don't remember this obviously, but apparently I just like hit the ground face first and just took a deep breath in breath out and didn't move mm. and I don't remember anything um, except for a couple of minutes later being on the sideline uh, kind of coming to having all these people around me and like trying to sit up and trying to run back out on the field and everyone's like whoa dude you've been out for minutes man like stay the fuck where you are <laughs> don't move so, so did your heart stop or I've got no idea Jesus Christ that's the know. dangers of rugby you guys aren't wearing you guys are lunatics out there yeah <sighs> You're so not, yeah, you're not wearing equipment. I see. I'm a hockey player, but even rugby's next level. I mean, at least we got equipment on out there. My God. Okay. Uh, well, that that was our blast from the past. That's that. I, I got some inside information. I, I don't think it was too. Uh, that, was, that was solid, man. Yeah, I don't think it was too demeaning. Um, okay, I wanted to have a quick chat about uh, a, a little bit more into like your strength and conditioning, strength and conditioning with Petra Young, and also just on his last fight because, in my opinion. I still think he's the champion. Whatever happened last time was just, uh, it's uh, not just sad, but it's like, it's its almost unheard of. This this has rarely happened to the UFC. What are your thoughts on his last fight, his performance, and that decision? Uh, first of all, the, the decision, man, like, I can't argue it. Correct, yeah. I mean, he's a professional. He should know the rules. Yep. Um, I like the guy. He's one of my clients. Really fucking good dude. Really talented guy. But, I mean, it's your craft, right? Like, you got to know the rules. Well, it seems, I guess, I don't want to say the word on the street, but, like, the the media says that someone from his corner said, uh, hit him. And is that true, or is, the, is there a little bit more of inside information? It's really hard to tell at that point. Yeah, I mean, again, like, Yes, it is a team sport, but at the end of the day, like it's up to the individual yeah. in the cage at the time to make the decision. So, again, regardless of whether or not, and like I've spoken to him, man, like he's he's a hundred percent accountable. Like it doesn't matter who said what or how yeah. it's portrayed in the media. Like he fucked up. Yeah, you know he knows that, so he's 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 dealing with the consequences right now. Mm. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is, mate, the dude's a beast. Like Aljamain Sterling threw everything he had at him. He was done. He just fucking absorbed everything, came back, started picking him apart. Like, yeah. that's what Petey Yarn is so good at, man. Like, he's so talented. He's so so intelligent as well. Like, his fight IQ is incredible. You know, he you got to think, man. Like, that's got to be so fucking demoralizing for Eljamain Sterling. He stuffed them on every take. Yeah, to, to be like, right, this is my game plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flurry, and I'm going to take this guy down. I'm going to take his no. back and choke him out. And it's like, every time he did that, like, he ended up on his back himself. Right, like you're not going to want to fight that dude again, and yeah, that's why this, he's been ducking. This guy is a uh, he's an animal. I, I I was following Petra Yang 
uh, before around his first UFC fight. Now it wasn't that it was primarily because he was a tiger. So I like mm-hmm. to follow the tiger fighters and he was fighting, um, one of, one of, I used to, uh, there was a, a kid, he, he's, uh, Torito Ishihara. Torito Ishihara, but he's from Alpha Male mm-hmm. and the jujitsu coach at Alpha Male is a guy named Michael Malott. This guy used to uh, be my neighbor as a kid. Mm. So he's about five years younger, but we, we know each other's families very well. So I followed that gym. I was actually following his guy first, and then I'm like, oh, he's fighting this. Who is this Petra Young guy? And uh, that's when I started following. And then after every fight, I'm like, this. not only does he get better, because his boxing's ridiculous, mm. he doesn't slow down. Every mm. single round, you're... You're watching, some people are saying like, yeah, he, he's, he gets better in the later rounds. But when you watch him specifically, the other guys are getting worse. Yeah. He's not, he just, he's just like a, a Mack truck. He just, it's very stable. He's ripping through the guys, but his stamina is, it's on another level. Do you notice that in the gym and strength and conditioning, his VO2 max must be through the roof. Yeah. hundred percent, man. That's, that's exactly what we train. Yeah. I like his, when, when he first came to me, like he was, he was a smaller guy. Um, you know, I watched a, a number of his his previous fights um, before he joined the UFC, and you know that was he was known for that. He was known for, you know, he put a few dudes out, but he was known for volume and just touching guys a lot. So, you know, I saw that. I saw he had a, a an amazing aerobic base. So I was like, right, we need to add some strength, add some speed, add some power. You know, so instead of just putting a lot of touches on guys, you know, making sure that when he touches them, they don't want to engage. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was a lot of focus was once we'd gone through the first couple of fight camps after he made it or once he leading into his debut, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was a new guy. Uh, I hadn't really worked with too many fighters at that stage um, as a strength and conditioning coach. You know, I train athletes. And if I can make someone more athletic, then that's typically going to carry over to, you know, being able to perform at their craft, whatever that may be. Um, in this case, it was fighting. So, you know, once we got working together, it was all about building that foundation. I'm assessing where he's at. I'm having a look at, you know, his strengths, his weaknesses, going through a fighter analysis and then putting together a training plan that's going to allow me to build a foundation, but also tie in with, you know, who he's fighting, what his game plan is. Um, And once we got a couple of fight camps under our belt together, then, you know, each fight became a little bit more specific because, uh, again, you know, going back to that team environment, if I'm working with a rugby team, then I've got them for six to eight months of the year, Mm -hmm. right? I've got them for, you know, off-season, pre-season, in season, you know, peaking at the right times. And for him, do you just have him for the camp, like eight weeks or six yeah. weeks? Yeah, yeah. So I've only ever had him for the, the camps, which is sometimes only four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. But he's here the whole year anyway. So when he's not in camp, is he training? No, with you? he's not. He's not here all year. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, I must no. have just saw. I, I was training at Unit Twenty Seven a couple Octobers ago, and I did ten days, and I saw him out there. But I don't yeah. like to bother people. Anyway, so he's just coming in for his camps, and then he goes back to Russia, or. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, obviously like a couple of years ago, he was spending a lot more time here as, you know, a a base to then build him up and, you know, his managers out here and he's, he's fighting to get him in, you know, different organizations, different fights and things like that. So, you know, he spent a lot more time out here back then. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but you know over the last couple of years he's he's spent a lot more time at home he's got a family yeah, and now he's i think he's at top team or i think he was in the u.s yeah he was in the u.s and probably that's be- because of covid that's because of covid oh, so um, the c word we're gonna get shadow banned just for that <laughs> it's it's all right it's yeah. all right no worries. so yeah um, and and uh one of the main questions i want to ask from that initial fight starting the U- in the ufc to where he is today and and as you were uh, his strength and conditioning coach uh, specifically, what have you seen him improve in the most, whether it's in the martial arts side or the endurance or the conditioning? What can you say? Like, Because, again, it's a very long-winded question, but I'll get it out. It's kind yeah. of – he is getting better and better, but how much more better can this guy even get? And so the, back to the main question, what have you seen him improve on in the most since he started with you? To be honest, I think he's paying more attention to the data um, so Johnny, John Boy, um, John Hutchinson, the the boxing coach at Tiger, like he's been in, I think, in his fight camps almost as long as me, just as long. Um, he kind of came on board, I think maybe this his second fight or something. So Johnny's been involved in a number of his fight camps as well, and he was over in, um, in the US with top team, American top team. Um, putting him through his paces over there. Now, obviously, he's fighting against Aljamain Sterling, so, you know, a lot more grappling and things like that, far less boxing. He wasn't doing any strength and conditioning over there. Yeah. And that's something that Johnny said to me. I interviewed him for my podcast, and he was like, man, you know, we missed you in that fight. Um, missed that condi- conditioning, missed that snap in his punches, missed that power, that anaerobic base. Um, but he said, like, you're really going to look forward to working with him next time because he's starting to pay attention to his body he's not just hammering himself all the time and you know you have to you have to manage this as as people get older particularly you know these fighters man if they're going to be putting their bodies through the fucking ringer yeah all year round like you've got to take that time to do some maintenance work you've got to look after the body right because if you don't look after the body then you're going to get injured you're not going to be able to fight you're not going to be able to be as active that means you you know instead of progressing and improving then you're kind of staying where you are, potentially even moving backwards. So, so, so he's focusing primarily just on, on, on the data to be uh, as optimal as he can as an athlete. Yeah, I think he's, I mean, he's, he's a very intelligent guy and he's going to do, he doesn't have a head coach, so he just kind of manages his, his own thing mm-hmm. um, and does whatever's necessary. Um, but I think he's understanding a little bit more that, you know, there's, there's different things that he needs to focus on at different times um, instead of just being one of those people that's just like, all right, I've just got to do more, 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 more grind. You know, all right, well, I've got a decent base here. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't need to do as much of that. Maybe I can, you know, maintain that for the next couple of months whilst I progress these skills and drills, et cetera. So I think, you know, he's getting better at understanding those different things things that he needs and then being able to structure a solid training plan. What are, what are your thoughts on um, John Danaher? He has a school of thought and, and um, with Gordon Ryan, which I'm sure you're familiar with all these guys. Um, his school of thought is that these guys like Gordon Ryan, if they're very good at one thing, that is what we will continue to teach. And that is it. Because once you start spreading yourself too thin then you're not very good at one thing. You're very good at many things. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be applied to uh, Pedro Yang. His boxing is his thing, right? Now, but he has, as he 
reaches new levels in the UFC, he has to maybe focus on the jujitsu, the wrestling, the takedown defense. So that time is not being focused on the boxing. So that takes it away or the strength and conditioning. Do you, mm-hmm. do you agree with that? Or do you agree in MMA as you um, get up in the rankings, you do need to spread yourself thin? Uh, I think having a base foundation of like one style, I think that's very important because, you know, again, you want to be very good yeah. at something and continue improving that. Now, that's obviously going to tie into, you know, game plan. It's going to tie into training, etc. You know, here's the thing, man. Here, here's how I like to explain it. If, if you've got someone, let's say you're playing the UFC game on PlayStation, right, and you've got an avatar and you've only got 100 points to dedicate to strength, speed, power, stamina, wrestling, um, offense, defense, striking, blah, 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 blah. Right, like how many, if you're already very high level at one of those things, you know, how many more points? You have to put in more and more and more effort to just add the smallest increments. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you get to a decent level there, then you can go, all right, my boxing's very, my striking's very good. All right, what do I need to improve? I need to improve my my takedown defense Mm -hmm. so I can keep it standing so I can play my fight game. Yeah. Right, that might mean I need to work on a little bit more anaerobic conditioning. Um, I need to be a little bit stronger or a little bit more powerful, you know. So, obviously, having one of these bases, but then like a very good base, but then also looking at all of the other different aspects that come into it that's going to allow you to utilize those skills that you're already very good at. I think that's important, man. And again, that's going to be different for you know, different opponents. And, and how different game plans let's say strength and condition it's it's not um uh how to say it's not a martial art let's say but it's probably like for example if i'm a striker and my boxing and my muay thai are great my jujitsu is o- okay but i don't have time to train jujitsu ju- for me personally i would say well then put all your time on strength and conditioning because is that not a hidden gem in the the sport of UFC that maybe fighters are not focusing on enough do you, do you, do you agree with that do you do you think that they should be focusing more on strength and conditioning do you see that is it is this something that's trending over the past 5 years cuz i could imagine 10 years ago this probably did not exist in UFC yeah or um, MMA it's in it's a great question um and i think I think it is a little bit untapped. It is, it is becoming a little bit more um, of a focus. I think for fighters, just as you know, nutrition is, yeah, and uh, you know, a periodized training, nutrition, recovery plan. I think a lot more people are realizing the benefits of it, um, because I mean, at the end of the day, like like I just said, you know, you could spend all this time energy and effort into developing this one skill but once you get to a certain level like it's there's a point of diminishing returns right Mm -hmm. so where can we better invest that time energy and effort so that we can you know improve other areas which is going to allow us to utilize our main skills or our base so it's the same thing with nutrition you know it's 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 becoming a lot more prevalent these days fighters are becoming a lot more aware of, you know, like 
cutting weight intelligently mm-hmm. without, yeah. you know, smashing themselves, without taking too much away from their ability to perform in their training sessions, their ability to recover between training sessions, but also their ability to put on a performance on the night, right? Like if you deplete too much, then one, like if you deplete too much through fight camp, whatever, eight-week fight camp, then you're not actually getting better at your skills, right? You're just fucking grinding. Yep. And like you're not actually improving. And of, of course, there's going to be a component that you need to grind, you need to put in the effort, right? But again, like that, at, at some point, that becomes detrimental. Yeah. So, you know, I think having a plan to allow people to reduce weight over time, start cutting body fat, but also eat enough in the right, you know, enough energy, right nutrients, right ratios to fuel that performance. So they're actually getting better. Yeah, And then recovery as well. So they can back up those training sessions. There's a lot more to it than just the martial art itself as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, just because it's four and you got to get out to the beach. So uh, I'm sure we could talk for hours still. But um, on a final note, because I I don't want to be on schedule. Anyways, (laughs) on a final note, um, what are you doing now? Is there anything that you want to talk about? Swiss 8, we wish we didn't get too much time to talk about Be Spunky. I did want to talk about that. So maybe you can address the camera and um, where people can find you, your YouTube, your Instagram, if they want to do coaching. You got too many hats, man. I don't know what to say. Yeah, actually with us here in the live, Be Spunky. He's spunky yeah, as yeah, hey, all the all day. Don't worry, we're gonna get a clip for you. It's coming right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm obviously an ambassador for Swiss Eight, which I've already spoken about, but also Be Spunky. So uh, Be Spunky is a male uh, hormone optimization supplement that um, essentially replaces a lot of other bullshit supplements. Um, it's a nutraceutical, so um, comes from natural sources and. You know, we spoke about this earlier off camera. Uh, it's not necessarily like testosterone production boosting. Okay, it's more about like managing stress and allowing your body to get into a state where it can produce its own testosterone mm-hmm. um, to allow you to function optimally. So, yeah, I'm affiliated with with uh, Be Spunky. Shout out to Sean, uh, legend of a guy. Um, and yeah. Uh, and where can they find Be Spunky? How can Bespunky people connect? Bespunky.com.au. Use the code COBES10. COBES10. discount. COBES10. K-O-B-E-S. Yes, that's right. One zero. Ten. Also, you can find them on uh, Instagram. Probably on Instagram, just at Be Spunky. At Be Spunky. B-E-S-P-U-N-K-I. Awesome. Uh, news for them coming out sh- soon. I'm not yeah. sure when Sean's going to release that, but uh, just a little heads up. Um, Swiss 8 is an app which you can find um, swiss8.org um, again to allow you to structure and schedule 8 pillars of health and wellness via an app on your phone Yep. Um, you can find me at Coach Cobes that is K-O-B-E-S Coach underscore Cobes on Instagram um, YouTube is Performance Functional Training and my podcast is Live Train Perform perfect so we'll, we'll find you on that we've plugged ourselves enough I'm not one to talk about my stuff I get I it will sell itself. It's so awesome. So I, I won't even tell you. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, uh, Sean Cober, on our podcast today. And next week, we will be uh, uh, dealing with a five-star Marine. Uh, they are doing uh, a lot of charity work around the islands. 
of Phuket um, with one Phuket, and they're kind of the same connection. Uh, Nando, he was on our first podcast. He explained a little bit about that. But uh, Sean, another Sean, is coming on as well, and we're going to dive deep into that. So stay tuned, and we're out. Thanks a lot, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to watch the full video on YouTube, come visit our channel, Fruiting Body Podcast. We can also be found on Instagram at Fruiting Body Podcast. Please be sure to share and follow this podcast with friends and family. Thank you very much.